Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business, presented by FL Montreal. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Managing Director Mike Newton, who's back today. Hi, Mike. Hey, Dan. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, thank you. We're going to talk about thought leadership on the program today and uh, and all the complexities involved in that term. I can't wait for that semantic conversation in a second. And our profile today is Annie Seal. She's the founder and CEO of Tenjiva. It's a really interesting market network for in-stock textiles. So you can bring it up on uh, on your system, order textiles, and have it shipped to you fairly quickly um, in, in many different countries. And uh, Annie will join us in a little while. First, some news and notes, as usual, Mike. Let's start with the, the topic of thought leadership. And I don't know how you feel about this term, but it's been on my mind lately because um, I think we've discussed this. During the pandemic, the term has exploded. I mean, mm-hmm. everything in corporate Canada is all about thought leadership. And so I find myself as a PR consultant doing a lot of thought leadership and not really loving the term. What can we replace it with? Let's, let's start that conversation. Is it industry leadership? Is it content leadership, which is the, the kind of the term that I like? Um, or is it just leadership? What's wrong with just plain leadership? I, th- I think because the, the issue you have with just the term leadership is there are many different definitions, many different approaches. I kind of look at thought leadership as, as either responsible leadership or, uh, you know, trying to, trying to lead um, by changing, I guess, the, the mindset of those around us. And I guess that's where the initial thought leadership concept came from. It was this deep kind of philosophical discussion on leadership, which has morphed away from uh, what I think it originally started as and is now turned into uh, the, hot, the hot conversation topic of the week. Uh, just about everybody, is it the flavor of the week, the old expression? And, and I think that's what we're dealing with right now. I mean, the concept is, is huge. And, and, and I think the problem with just using the term leadership, I think at the end of the day is, you know, it, there are just so many definitions. And, and I don't think there's a, there, you know, you can lead without being deep and, and philosophical, which I think is where the, the kind of the thought side of the thought leadership comes from. Our executive producer Marjorie was was saying that it's actually uh, come back into fashion. And what is this? The second or third time it's come back? I think she was comparing it to capri pants. Yeah, something along those lines. So since we are already in the uh, the fashion industry, uh, you know, we just had the thought of Dan and I both in capris. So that in and of itself was a little scary. <laughs> couple um, more weeks, but, Mike. Yeah, exactly. Yes, a couple more weeks. Yes, they, for you they're shorts, for me they're capris, the short legs. So there you go. Um, no, the reality is, um, yeah, it, it it has come back. It's a term that's been around a long time, and and it seems to resurface in in times of uh, in, intense need. And, and I think that's what we're seeing over the last little while. Interesting. Yeah. And, and it is a time for leadership to, to think a little bit differently. And, uh, and it is important, you know, it's, it's thought leadership or the thing they call thought leadership is very important in times of crisis, because if you're not hearing from your leader on a regular basis, if they're not communicating to staff, clients, shareholders, various stakeholders, um, you're kind of failing in, in the PR department at a crucial time and you're instilling anxiety in people, actually. Yeah, I mean, you, the look. We live in a world of of, of instant gratification, and uh, in, in a world where we have access to just about anything at any time. So, you know, the the ability to to take that information, channel it, and use it for use it for good. Uh, from a leadership perspective, um, you know, and, and it, it is important. I mean, I think the, the thought leadership component was initially supposed to be forward thinking. It was supposed to be, you know, uh, looking looking down the road, 
um, in, in, in bringing into, uh, you know, bringing kind of novel ideas to, to the table. Uh, the issue you have, I think, with a lot of leadership, and I mean, you can, uh, I guess we could, we could argue that Donald Trump was a leader. Um, I'm not sure that's the definition that most people want to use for the term leadership. So that's why I, I, I kind of hesitate, uh, you know, to try and put a moniker or a label to all of this, because ultimately, at the end of the day, it really is about being a responsible leader. And what does that entail? And I, I'm sure if you ask 10 people, you'll get at least 10 different definitions of what, the, you know, responsible leadership is. Let's move on to uh, the part of the segment I like to call the Harvard Business Review review. And uh, that's part of that's because, you know, I find that so many business sites these days are really engaging in clickbait very aggressively and don't provide us with a tremendous amount of thought leadership. Um, but HBR is, is really fantastic. Yeah. And um, one thing that they uh, tackled on their podcast is overthinking. Mike, when do you know if you're a thought leader um, that, that well, you're overthinking? <laughs> Well, usually what I think I'm overthinking, I'm already overthought. So, um, you know, the reality is, uh, you know, overthinking is not necessarily exclusively reserved to leadership. I mean, I, I live at a profession that is traditionally uh, in full force with an abundance of, think of overthinkers. I mean, that's, you know, when you, when you sit in that kind of world, that, that's the tendency of what's there. Um, you know, we live in a world where people want to be right. Uh, you know, perfection is expected from everybody. Uh, we are now living in a world of, you know, fear, uncertainty, uh, where things are going. So, you know, the term that one of the terms that they use is, is basically self-chatter. I mean, I've been calling it <laughs> talking to myself for years, but apparently <laughs> they put a label to it. It's called self-chatter. And, you know, you're talking about the good and the bad. And there's, it's, it's not always a bad thing to talk to yourself. I mean, we've heard for years that, uh, you know, you're, some people that talk to themselves are considered, uh, you know, mentally unstable. For others, it's a sign of genius. So, you know, I like to think there's a fine line between genius and insanity that I cross over daily. Um, but the reality is, 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 you know, there's good and there's bad. And, and you know, the self-talk that, that you bring to the table to talk yourself through something. So, and, you know, there, there even, there, there's even a description of this in the third person, you know, and, and talking about how, well, you know, Mike, how are you going to handle this? Mike, what do you think you should be doing here as, you know, to try and give yourself that kind of support and, 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 and kind of, kind of look at yourself from, from a different angle. There's also the self-talk, which ultimately at the end of the day is just this repetitive thought process that leads you down the rabbit hole that is very, very difficult to, to, to come out of at the, end of, at the end of the exercise. And there's no doubt that I think the pain and the suffering that uh, people have had working from home, uh, you know, over the last 15 months and everything else, there's an awful lot of self-talk that, that, that is going on. Um, but, you know, you, you, you hear stories and, and people who have struggled from, you know, a, a major league pitcher who can't find home plate, you know, and, and for some reason, there's, it's not because his arm's not working. It's not because he's incapable of going through the proper motions. There is something blocking uh, inside and, and you have to help find a way to get through that. Uh, you know, you see... Uh, you know, people suffer from the imposter syndrome who talk themselves, you know, th through an exercise. So you know, there, there's a lot of ex things in here that we really need to, 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 to look at, try and channel them down and try and find a good way to, to do it. I mean, the, the application really is, you know, what is, what is the purpose? I mean, if you're talking to yourself and, and, and you're driving yourself down that rabbit hole, how do you stop? You know, we're, we're brought up in a society that says that, you know, if you don't feel great, get it off your chest. 
talk to somebody. Well, that's not always necessarily a good thing. I think the, the, the response on the other side is, is an important component of this. So if I walk into your office, Dan, and all I do is vent and kvetch for 20 minutes about what's going wrong, and I turn around and I walk out, I'm actually no better off. Chances are I'm worse than when I walked into your office because now all I've done is just brought the emotion to the surface and I haven't solved anything. You know, so the person listening, and the key to this is to listen, but the person listening has to then play the role of big picture, has to stop you and say, okay, I understand, you vented, you said what you had to say, how do we put a solution to this, how do we work through this? And all too often in, in, in an office environment, you know, our door is open. And our door is open to listen, but if our door is open to listen and let you walk away without addressing it, you're just going to go back to the self-talk. I often um, advise my clients, thought leaders who are uh, doing the media coaching process to engage in self-talk because it's actually helpful. I actually say, you know, talk to yourself in the shower or when you're out for a walk with the dog and that helps you rehearse. It helps you get your talking points and get your thought leadership in order. And uh, it's totally normal, I think. Um, I, I, I wasn't aware of the term self-talk until just now, yeah. um, but uh, it's, it's always been normal to me. I was, you know, I was told to self-talk, I should go to therapy. So I guess there's actually, uh, there's actually a purpose to it. But no, you're 100% right. I think a lot of people, before they do a presentation, before they move on, before they do something, ultimately at the end of the day, what do they do? They are, you know, getting prepared in their mind. Now, you can take that too far. If you, all you do is this repetition of what I'm going to say and how I'm going to do it, and you get this so fixated in your head that the first line you miss throws you out of whack, then clearly you haven't found that balance between you know, what you have to do and, and, and where you have to go. Let's get right to our guest, Mike. She is the CEO and founder of a market network for in-stock textiles. So if you're in quick need of a big bunch of fabrics, uh, organic, interesting, uh, exotic, uh, any seer, is the person for you. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur Annie. Hello, Dan and Mike. Thank you for having us, having me today. First question is uh, the easiest. Do, do a better job of explaining uh, Tenjiva uh, than I just did, please, Annie. <laughs> All right. Well, Tenjiva, it's allowing to trade real-time uh, materials throughout the globe. Whether you're from Canada and you want to source material from China, well, we transform these very long sourcing process that usually take one to six months down to a single week. It's literally a one-click sourcing process and you're sourcing directly from the supplier's uh, factory. So what is this more a um, commercial use? Is this more an individual retail type environment? Where, where, what, who are your clients? Who's you, who are you targeting? All right, yes. So we are targeting indeed uh, business to business. Uh, the goal is to help for different purpose, different size of companies. So for the smaller and early brands, we're helping them to start sourcing in more flexible quantities with market pricing uh, that are more proportionate to the real market value than they're used to pay because they cannot usually afford the large volume. When we're working with larger companies or even with luxury brands, it's about helping them uh, increase their speed to market uh, in terms of reducing the sourcing length or even to increase their pool of supplier and accelerate their operations. So how do you guarantee or how do you guarantee is probably a harsh word, but you know, how do you um, 
how do you fill in the quality needs? I mean, we you know we've heard stories over the years of, you know, many of our clients that uh, that lived in the uh, you know in, in in the garment industry went to China, sourced goods, came back, had it delivered, and it wasn't at all what they had gone over to see. So how do you guarantee the quality? And that's an excellent question. Well, we guarantee it in many ways. Uh, my partner and I have been in the industry for um, me 15, and he's been for 25 years before we built the solution. And we put quality at many levels. So first, it's about the contracts that we have put in place, very strict guidelines in terms of shrinkage, color retention, uh, points of defects on various strict standards that are known internationally. And we define this way what is considered first quality grade, second quality grade. We always do a verification since it's also our team that uh, takes the products and lists them online for the suppliers. So there's a second level of verification. Andy, we've had a lot of manufacturers on the program over the years who have had, you know, varying experiences manufacturing abroad. Um, are you the first such solution? It's, it seems like uh, a lot of our past friends here at Today's Entrepreneur could have used you some years ago. Yes. So there's different solution. There's a solution that are more in the side of the online catalog that allows them to connect with different suppliers, but doesn't help in the process. There's other that focus on the in-stock materials, but they cannot scale to the large quantities because that's the very big difficulty. We're starting from five meters, but if you need 20,000 meters, we can do it. So that's the difference with Tangiva. Well, we can do the scalability and optimize the process simultaneously. So how many countries are you sourcing from? So at the moment we have uh, manufacturers across 10 countries from North America, South America, Europe, and Asia. And uh, we have clients that can be located across 30 countries. I guess you do your due diligence on uh, the sources. Uh, you know, if you, like you said, if you're in 10 different countries, you have a stable of people that you constantly go back to, um, which obviously the risk that they run of not giving you a quality product is that you drop them from the stable of, of, of clients. Maybe explain a little bit that the, the due diligence process and how you would bring somebody on as, as a supplier. So it depends on the suppliers. Some uh, come from our network. So we are already established. We have already seen their, uh, their facilities and how they operate. Some other, they come to us. So depending on their um, our connection with them, we will adapt to it. But there's always a very close relationship that we build with them. For example, it's important to ship within two business days the order as soon as they receive it. So from that, we need to be in constant communication, make sure that uh, they have the sufficient installation and also, well, all the certification process needs to be disclosed. When you say certific certification process, what are you referring to? So uh, in the textile industry, there's many different type of certification, whether it could be about the product or about the company. About the company, we're talking about like ISO 9001 that everyone is familiar with. Mm -hmm. It certifies the, copy, uh, the, the company. There's also a specific certification that are specific to the material like organic cotton, for instance. And we work very closely with them to validate that these certification are uh, valid, uh, that their installation uh, meet the standards of the client. So I guess there's, there's, there's two questions I'm sure you hear regularly. One is sustainability. 
uh, and the other is responsible sourcing, making sure mm -hmm. that uh, you know that uh, the right people are doing the right work and getting paid properly. Yes. So first, I always like to address sustainability as something that can never be achieved as a hundred percent. Not no fabric is a hundred percent sustainable. So each brand that sources their material will have to make their own decision and to position themselves in this field. So whether their goal is about being about recycled materials uh, or whether they're about organic content, well, they need to focus on it and go along. What we do on our side, it's about transparency and giving them all the information they need also to take the best decision to meet their goal. Another important point is that our role right now in the industry is that there's no aggregator. Someone needs to bring, there's more than 200,000 textile manufacturers across the globe that have no way to connect together. So the first position that a platform like us has to play is to become this aggregator and to do positive reinforcement. And that's our goal. We want to help them become better. So if you only tell them you're doing things wrong, they won't come. So you need to work with them, give them a place and help them become better. That sounds like a really easy thing to say. Uh, I'm not sure how you accomplish and you know how you strive to move in that direction. I mean, as there is no 100% sustainability, there's also no 100% way of bringing people together in a responsible, uh, you know, reasonable manner. Actually, there is, and that's that's why it's so important to know your industry. So you need to understand the interaction that are already established, the, the underlying culture that already exists in the industry you're targeting. And in the textile industry, there's very specific relation in between the stakeholders. And we're using Tenjiva, it's just a tool that helps them connect together. So we did it in a way that it's beneficial for everyone to join the table. So whether they're, we're not even replacing trade shows nor sales rep, we're giving them a tool to do better their business. So that's how we're managing to bring them all in a single place. All automated, Annie. So you have that convenience, kind of a new system, a new, a new, a new type of system. How do you market something where there's a, a pretty steep learning curve? Um, we, we ask that for a innovative founder sometimes. Um, how do you explain the product to people? And, um, and what are your marketing efforts like? First of all, it's about understanding who you're speaking with and which needs you're fixing. So we have to adapt for each different segment that we have, whether it's a smaller company, it has to be more of a direct approach uh, through they're very active on social media and they're looking now online very much for their solution. So you have to be present there to speak to them and you need to speak their language. When you go on larger established companies, well, they won't change their sourcing strategies overnight. So it needs to be a progressive work that you need to do with them and supply them with progressive solution. So accelerated sampling, accelerated sizing, like you need 50 meters to do a sizing set. It means like this garment in all its sizes. Well, they can do that. It's a second step. And then progressively 
they will lean into their changing their production sourcing. So it's about adapting your strategy to the right client. Are you looking potentially to, uh, from a marketing perspective, I mean, I guess it's an angle, is are you looking to replace a lot of clients who spent time going to the Far East or going to countries that they were sourcing from? Is this an alternative for somebody to not have to hop on the plane and do the work that they've been doing, COVID or no COVID, just the, the, the general concept here? It's an alternative in a way, but not entirely. People like to gather together and to see each other and it trade show have their their social uh, component that you need to keep in place but it's a way to accelerate it to do it faster and to do it digitally so for those who don't want or don't have the time to travel they can do it digitally and if they still want to travel well we can also provide solution for trade shows to use our technology to take it part online their activity are you are you finding it that the tactile component of of people's you know feeling materials and 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 textiles and what that does right is is are you capable of 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 giving people comfort in that area that allows them to feel like hey you know i've listened to so many people saying well i'm not going to go buy pants at on amazon because i can't see what they feel like i don't know what that texture is going to look like it's essential uh, textile is a very tactile world and that's why we have this approach. So we supply sample swatches that uh, brands can test and source and buy before buying the larger amounts because you need to have this component of touching the material, seeing how it falls, how it it feels on the, the skin as well. So it's a very imp- important component we had to put in place in the platform as well. Uh, I guess I have a two-pronged question for you. The first is, how do you do your marketing? Uh, and I guess the second is, is how do you prioritize or how do you find a way uh, to allocate resources? I mean, you're, 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 you're not a, a thousand-person uh, uh, business with, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to market. How do you decide where to spend your time and your energy? I'd say we have two uh, specific main funnels in terms of marketing. So the first one is about the digital world. We're fully digital, so we need to be active, whether it's on social media or whether it's on search engine. Uh, that's one of the funnels. The second funnels, funnel is about like using the industry leverage, meaning brands and suppliers, they stick together for years. It takes them somewhere between a year and two years, even more sometimes, to build a business relation. So you need to tap on that to bring traction to the platform. So we're working very closely to work with established supplier that will use our tool to facilitate their operation with their brand. So they're bringing their network as well. If I follow that logic, are you saying that you are to a certain degree replacing that relationship? No, we're not replacing it actually, but we give them tools to make it faster and more easier. So. Let's say right now I want stock materials and Tenjiva doesn't exist. So I would have to contact this supplier. It would turn into like literally a month or two of back and forth email calls, even fax. So (laughs) yes, still. And it would be a lot of, it would be so labor intensive for me to, to 
try to get this material. What we do is basically we're giving a digital tool for the supplier to do it faster. So let's say the client is looking at their profile on Tangiva. They will have all of their products, all the inventory, everything they have in inventory on their profile. So they can choose what they want, when they want, and receive it in a week, no matter where on the globe. So it accelerates all of these communication that becomes like, do you really need to call someone to know how much is the, the price per meter or do not, to know their inventory? How do you get paid? <laughs> Many ways. But the most important is about a service fee that we've built that is dynamic and that is automatically adapted based on the yearly purchasing volume of the client. So it's automatically adapted on the fabric price and more they buy, the less it the less it costs them in terms of the service fee. And yes, it's more beneficial, this service fee, than otherwise all the, the work they would put uh, to try to access the, these actually materials that are not available on the market. So I guess the, you're feeding into my last question for you, which really revolves around why would I, I can understand why I use you at the beginning. Why would I not bypass you as I go along? Once I've built the relationship with that supplier, why do I stay with you? Is the volume discount enough to make it worthwhile? Or are you, what else are you providing in the value added that really makes l'attachement, the keeping people attached to the scenario? Love this question. Because first and foremost, it's so much easier. I've been there. I, before I like started into Tangiva and that we drafted me and my co-founder the idea. I was sourcing between 25 and 30 million dollars of textiles per year. And trust me, this one month, two months you're wasting trying just to access this material is a nightmare. I lost contract that I could have signed much faster. So just the gain in terms of time is enormous. That's one thing. Second, well, these materials, they're not available on the market. If you call them and try to say, oh, do you have this material in stock? Most of the time they'll tell you, I don't. Because it's so complex for them to try to sell it to you. It costs them so much that they rather say, no, I don't, and leave it in the warehouse than selling it to you. Interesting. Very interesting. So I guess, uh, I, I guess I lied. I do have one more question. Um, source, sourcing has become, uh, especially from some countries in the Far East, a challenge uh, in, in, during COVID. And, and that challenge has become the actual shipment and <laughs> delivery of goods. And, you know, we hear stories of China having monopolized uh, all, the, uh, all the containers and charging extra for containers and, and everything else. Uh, I'm sure you have much better stories than I do. How, is this, how, how are you finding that in the exercise? I think that's where the importance of building strong business relationship before and comes in. So first, while the logistics were working with very uh, interactive components in terms of shipping. So a client could choose whether their own shipping options, the shipping options of the supplier or even ours. So there's a lot of possibilities. Uh, second, while well, we worked with a shipping partner that is one uh, who hasn't had much problem during COVID. So we were able to last year during April, right when the biggest and worst shipping part of COVID happened, we were able to ship um, 
3,000 meters out of China, and it went very well in time. One last question uh, for me is on uh, on sourcing, um, but but on the ethics of it, some some of, of those issues make the news. You know, sometimes the, there are ethical questions around sourcing these fibers. Um, how do you get around those those issues? So it's a very interesting question because Tenjiva started as a platform that was trading in in stock textiles, but a specific component of in stock textiles is what we call excess stock. It's the nature of the business and it's always, it's part of the business. We presented it as a platform that was selling excess stock, but we quickly noticed that excess stock was directly aligned to bad quality. So like we were seeing these brands, these large luxury brands that were saying, hey, I'm not buying scrap. And then we were like, okay, let's take a step back. What is are we really offering? What are we really providing? Well, it's access to in-stock textiles. And part of it, there is excess stock, but there's also recurring programs, new collection, new product development. They need to test it and it creates an inventory. We learned that sustainability in marketing is important, but you need to be careful on how you address it. Second, well, if for someone who's familiar with the textile industry, the child labor is not as common as in the garment industry. Because it's such large machinery, well, you need, you need experts that know how to maneuver these machines. They're multi-million dollar facilities. So it's rare that you will see a child like you would in a very detailed facilities when you're making a garment or when you're picking uh, cotton in some areas. The concerns are different for the textile industry than the ones we see in other countries. Uh, I would say that the biggest concerns are about sustainability in terms of the environment, the high usage of water, uh, 90% of the environmental impact from a garment comes from the textile manufacturing. That's a lot. Uh, Annie, thanks so much. We'll have your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way. But first, we welcome back to the program, uh, Alita Eid. Alita is a consultant at FL's Pvisio, and uh, she works in HR. Um, and welcome back, Alita. Thank you for having me. So, Mike, we're going to talk about onboarding. We're still in a COVID situation, of course, um, hopefully not for longer. Maybe things will get back to normal. But in the meantime, uh, we still have to onboard people remotely and, uh, and get to know people remotely. I'm going to say before Alita jumps in that, that we are going to continue to be on onboarding, I think, in a remote way for much longer than a few more weeks. Uh, we're starting to see a lot of habits that are kicking in of sourcing uh, staff from not local markets. So I think we better be, we better be listening to Alita because I think this is going to be something that uh, is going to be going on for quite some time. Indeed, Alita. So with, uh, with more remote options, I guess that gives... Uh the the opportunity for employers to to look around geographically for for new talent so alita uh it's curious to know how it's it's impacted employee onboarding the the, the whole remote exercise the practices that you're involved in uh and 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 once they've been hired i mean people are not once you hire them they're not coming to the office what's happening so yes, we uh, definitely were forced to adapt different strategies to the virtual working environment, and uh, that includes the onboarding practices. 
Onboarding has always been a fundamental touchpoint in the employee experience. It allows the transition from candidate to new hire to new employee. During this stage of onboarding, employees start building a level of engagement, sense of belonging with with their new company through the support and interactions that you're offering them. So the challenge that that came with COVID was um, we had to redefine our traditional, let's say, onboarding practices to make sure that new employees see and feel their new workplace, all while keeping them engaged and equipping them to perform their best. So all that had to happen virtually. So a few examples of changes that we had to adapt and help our clients adapt. What what used to be a physical office setup, okay, so orientation normally is between one to three days. Normally what we do is help you set up your physical space, so laptop, desk, chair. It all became a delivery of equipment to your home with, for example, an allocation to purchase a desk or chair. This was followed by a virtual meeting with the IT team to assist with the setup and then probably a meeting with the health and wellness specialist to make sure, um, you know, that there's an ergonomic assessment and that your work uh, station at home is well set up. What used to be an office store, for example, became a Teams video call hosted by your people and culture team and where the new team member gets to meet representatives from different departments. Uh, communication and presentations of company policies on the job training, um, how-to material had to be revisited and stored on interactive platforms. Um, All aspects of a healthy integration and progression, such as one-on-ones, check-ins, performance reviews, all these little interactions that happened, let's say, informally with your manager had to become virtual and unfortunately had to be more formalized and structured. So even even lunch or coffee with your manager or virtual cafes and events had to become more structured and online, obviously. I don't know about you, Dan, but I started at Fuller in 1989, and I have no idea what she's talking about. None of that was anything we ever experienced back then when we started. I started on the floor with still working out of boxes and lucky to have a desk. So I think, uh, you know, one of the things, Alita, that you mentioned, and and it catches me, is the employee experience. Uh, Maybe discuss this concept of what is an employee experience. Yes. Employee experience is the journey every employee takes with the, with your company. So it, it involves different stages and milestones lived by employees from the day they're hired um, up to their last day even. So upon their departure, they're still going through an experience with you. It's an experience that they will share with other people. It's an experience that, you know, uh, th- they'll remember for the rest of, of, of their lives. It's also called... Uh, life cycle, employee life cycle. And so it's basically how employees experience overall collaborations and exchanges during different stages of their journey um, and how it may, makes them feel. So as candidates, okay, so they start by interacting with the talent acquisition team. They build expectations and ideas of their new workplace because the talent acquisition team is telling them all about the role the you know the the team the workplace so there we'll, we're we're selling kind of our who we are and that builds expectations 
But once they're hired, they're, like I said earlier, they're ready to see and feel it. So the experience starts from their very first conversation with the recruiter to their onboarding with the people and culture team, to their feedback sessions with managers, and as I mentioned, goes as far as their departure, how their departure is handled. So these type of exchanges uh, during these milestones or different stages, they happen with uh, different representatives of the company and reflect the company's purpose and culture. So ideally, they're supposed to naturally create a sense of belonging. Obviously, that's one experience when you're in the office. How has COVID and remote work played a role in the employee experience that's been going on for 15 months? Yes, so definitely it was one thing uh, onboarding and offering an experience all together under the same roof uh, with informal interactions and human beings just interacting with each other in person. That's completely different and it creates a specific culture and feel. But you know, COVID, like I said, had to, to you know, pushed us to, to, to change a lot of things and, and adapt. So when the pandemic started, most companies were on crisis management mode. So, um, so the ones that were not used to, to operating virtually had to adapt from one day to another in terms of equipment policies, let's say, and, and, and security. At that time, we were all dealing uh, with fear and uncertainty, but we were all dealing with that at the same exact time. If, if you're an employee and you're looking up to your leader ask with, your, you know, with all your questions and your fears, your leader was not ready and did not have the answers for you because everything happened to everyone at the same time. So employee experience did take a hit, but it took a hit across, across the board and there were so many external factors involved. At this specific time when this was happening, we had to focus on empathy and communication as best as we can to provide a sense of unity and security because that's exactly what we needed at that time. Alita Eid, HR consultant at Pivizio by FL. Thanks so much, Alita. Thank you. And now we turn to Annie Sear of Tangiva. Annie, your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur, please. I would say learn with others people money. That's what a teacher of mine told me, and I believe it was the greatest advice uh, you can say to someone. Basically, it's, it's about whether you're like gaining experience, whether it's good or bad, learn from it. Learn what to do, learn not what to do. And it will help you build a better business. So I was already in my head about uh, talking to entrepreneurs. So that's an advice for entrepreneurs. Learn about your experience, learn about uh, technologies. For instance, you don't start a technology and start it from scratch from the beginning. There's already technologies existing. When you build your first technology, look what exists, build on it to do your first beta solution. And then you will learn from what the others have learned and you will build a better solution. My one uh, biggest tip is learn with other people money. I like it. Thanks so much, Annie Sear of Tangiva. Uh, we appreciate your time. Mike, some final thoughts? I think it's very interesting, uh, very interesting scenario. I had a lot, a lot of the uh, guests we've had in the last little while. 
have revolved around this service-oriented uh, model as opposed to the traditional models that we have come to know. And I think that a lot of this is is the necessity of, of moving forward. And I think uh, the results of COVID and, and a whole bunch of things as we come out of uh, of this world, I think we're going to continue to see a lot more creative ideas like, like we saw from Annie today. So I just want to say thank you, Annie. I think it was uh, very interesting to see. And I think you're taking what has traditionally been a very kind of old and stodgy environment and, and and bringing it up to date. So congratulations. Thank you, Dan and Mike. Thank you, Annie. Very brilliant and innovative. And uh, thank you, Mike. We'll be back in two weeks. Don't forget today's entrepreneur.org for over a decade worth of inspiring entrepreneur stories. And we'll see you back here soon. Good talk.